Hi, I'm Theo. And I'm Scarlett. And welcome to the Theo's Book Club podcast, where we talk about queer books. And Michigan. Today, we'll be interviewing Robbie Couch, author of The Sky Blues and Blaine for the Win. Make sure you check out our website, theosbookclub.com, where you can read more of Theo's thoughts on the books. You can find a link to get your own copy of the books, and you can join the conversation in our forums. And if you're like Scarlett and prefer reading with your ears, I suggest checking out theosbookclub.com audible, where you can sign up for a free trial and get access to all your favorite books. That's theosbookclub.com slash A-U-D-I-B-L-E to start a free trial and help support the podcast. And the best part is you get a free book download that you can keep forever. So please share this with your friends and family, smash the like button, and hit subscribe. Now, off to our interview with Robbie Couch. Hello, and welcome back to Theo's Book Club. My name is Theo, and I use he, him pronouns. And I'm Scarlett. I use she, her. And today we are joined by the absolutely incredible Robbie Couch. Hi, I'm author Robbie Couch, and he, him pronouns work great. Genuinely so excited to have you on the podcast today. Very excited. Uh, now, Robbie, Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited yay. to be here. Yes. Yay. Something we do with all of the authors is... A very fast, lightning round, intense five questions. These are the hardest questions you will ever be asked to get oh, to no. know you. Are you emotionally, <laughs> physically, spiritually, mentally prepared for this? Absolutely not, but let's go. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's, yeah, hit the ground running. Here we go. One, two, three. What's your favorite color? Green. What's your favorite food? Spaghetti. What was the name of the high school you went to? Clio Area High School. What? Um, is your favorite style of window? Oh my gosh. Oh my, is it sad that I don't even know what a, a stained glass window? <laughs> yeah, do you want to give some glass. options here? No, oh, stained glass? Great. Perfect. And why is the sky blue? Oh, something science-y. The oh. rainbow, Roji Biv. Yes. <laughs> yes, rainbow. Nice. That's as much Incredible. as I know. There's a reason why I went the writing route as opposed to the... the science route? Chemist route? I don't, even, I don't even know what genre of science that would fall into. So, I don't know either. Yeah. That is a great segue, though. What did propel you into writing? You know, it's hard to know exactly if there was like a, a single moment or um, or what, but I do remember in fourth grade, the, f the first experience that I had that really kind of highlighted this idea that I love to tell stories and I love to write was when I was in fourth grade, I had a homework assignment to write a book and I illustrated the book. And I'm, you know, I'm going to say book in air quotes because it was probably like five pages long. But um, right. I remember really enjoying the process of coming up with this fictional story. And it was about this seaweed in my aunt's lake in Michigan, like eating my legs. And it was sort of strange. But I remember loving writing the story, loving coming up with the, um, yeah, just kind of the creative process of, of that. And I also remember getting an A on it, which was exciting. And my teacher... Mr. Okay, Volk. smart. Wow. An <laughs> academic. Yeah, yeah, an academic <laughs> on a roll. Um, I remember Mr. Volk telling me, you know, that I had done such a great job and it was something kind of clicked in my brain where I thought like, oh, this was really fun to, to do and I'm not terrible at it. So right. from that point on, I just really loved to, to write short stories and I started writing a million different books throughout my childhood that I never finished until more recently. 
Um, and yeah, and, and reading and, and storytelling in general just became a really big part of, of my life kind of starting then. So I think that was the initial thing that kind of got me on my way. Was there a lot of queer literature that you were reading at that age? Or is oh, that something that you didn't all. interact with until you were much older? Yeah, it was definitely the latter. Um, it was really the latter, right? The latter comes for last. Yes, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I know it was something I didn't read really any queer literature when I was younger. I didn't really have part of the reason why I wanted to write young adult fiction was because I thought about the lack of of queer literature that I had access to and growing up in, in small town Michigan or really it didn't matter where you grew up um, in, you know, the the 90s and early aughts, there was just a general lack of queer representation in a lot of the stories that, um, you know, we find in books, on TV, and film. Of course, they were there, but I think making them accessible is was a, was a really big uh, hurdle. And I, you know, I think Will and Grace was like the only thing I had like had reference to mm. in like a pop yeah. culture standpoint um when i was a kid and even that was such a crazy big deal to me to be like oh my gosh those men are like me i think <laughs> um uh so yeah so i didn't really have that much i remember i remember the first book that i read that i felt sort of represented as a queer kid was auntie mame i don't know if you guys are familiar with that book it became a broadway show and there's a film it's from like the 1950s so it's really old but um a lot of the queerness was coded and and even then it wasn't explicitly queer it was just sort of like i guess like thematically queer like it's right. just this very flamboyant aunt and um her her uh her nephew that she kind of takes under her wing and yeah it was something that i kind of felt seen by in a kind of unique way that i didn't even realize so much later that it felt like oh yeah i felt like a part of my queer identity was sort of reflected in that story in a kind of funky way so but yeah, to answer your question, yeah, it, there wasn't that much out there. And that's mm. changed, right. thank God. Oh, yeah. Mm. But I think that's the appeal of your books to me, for example, but also all YA is like, while I'm reading them now at this old, old age of mine, <laughs> that um, 26. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> seven, um, that um, I'm like, oh my God, I'm just thinking about like 14-year-old Theo reading these books mm -hmm. and then genuinely enjoying it as an adult because I'm like, had I had this, when I was in yeah. high school, like everything I, would be you different. Know, I have a theory. So I've had many, many older queer people uh, who will reach out to me either or, you know, comment on different social media posts or, or message me on social media and say kind of something similar where, and it'll be people in their 40s, 50s, 60s kind of saying, it's so great. They'll, they'll kind of almost be embarrassed by saying that they read YA right. and, and then lead into this idea of like, oh, I didn't have these stories when I was a kid, so I'm enjoying them now. And, you know, I would, I have zero data to back this up, but I would <laughs> theorize that more queer adults we read like queer YA as opposed to maybe straight cis adults just yes. because there's this, there's kind of a lack of those sorts of stories when we were young. So it's, it's kind of nice even as adults to to read those stories, even though we're obviously much older now, but to kind of, um, yeah, imagine a, a life that we didn't have when we were teenagers, um, right. which, is, which is kind of sad. But it's surprising how many adults, I think, read her YA for that reason. Yes. Well, two things. First of all, I'm pretty sure I'm one of the people that messaged you on Instagram saying, <laughs> thank you for this book. I would have loved, like, this would have changed my life as a 14-year-old. So I'm definitely a part of those. And um, two is like, yeah, like, let's just put this out there. Read YA books. 
Yeah. They're so good. Yeah. Like if it's you're an truly adult, don't like don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. <laughs> it's like some of the best books I've read even this year are YA books. Those mm. are some of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we also talk about this, like, second adolescence of, like, queer people and, like, this, you know, we kind of missed our first adolescence or we, we, like, have all this, like, suppressed, like, we didn't get to, like, grow at that age, like, Mm -hmm. with straight people. So I feel like part of it is also I'm getting that adolescent experience I might have missed the first time around, you know, as I'm getting older. For oh sure. yeah, for sure. I feel like I really lived my teen years as a as a thirty year old gay man, basically. Hundred <laughs> percent. There's something interesting about um, so of all the books and authors that we're talking about and interviewing, yours is the only one that I've kind of read. I read the first few page ten pages. I haven't read any of the other books we're talking about. <laughs> but what's interesting about it is, so I did a semester of high school in Michigan. And within the first 10 pages, I immediately, without ha- like knowing anything about you, I was like, I know exactly where this high school is. I went here. I know this guy. This is Michigan for sure. Flip to the back cover. Don't, aren't you like, yeah, go blue. And I'm like, oh, okay, this makes sense. I know exactly. I know exactly what's going on here. But what's interesting about that is that kid in the book is absolutely a kid I went to high school with, but would never, couldn't explain who he was when I was a teenager. If that makes, I'm not, I don't know if I'm making this make sense, but like when I was 15, I couldn't relate to that kid. I had no idea who he was because I was very straight then. (laughs) (laughs) Things have changed. Yeah. (laughs) Had I had that book then, I could have related to my friends better in class. Mm -hmm. Not even just like recognize myself, but understood my peers better as well. And I absolutely, like the first 10 pages of your book, I was like, "Mm, this is that one guy in Mr. (laughs) Theo's, like actually funny enough, I had the, my teacher was (laughs) Mr. Theodore. Mr. Theo's history class, I would have understood that kid. (laughs) Oh, I love that. No, I think that's so great. And, And I think that's why it's important for, you know, I write young adult books for, we're teenagers, but of course it's amazing if, if straight and cis like teenagers want to read or and adults want to read these books too, because I do think it kind of helps put you in the mind of someone who's, uh, Sky is not closeted, but he's still kind of struggling post coming out of the closet of finding who he is, finding out who he is. And it kind of, yeah, it kind of um, exposes you to a lived experience that you didn't have growing up. So it's mm. awesome. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. The thing I love the most about your books, why I, I genuinely got emotional, I think, more the second time rereading them because you impeccably write characters. Like, they're so realistic and so grounded, and it's so easy to connect with them. Like, it's crazy. It's, mm. I, I was reading these books oh. and I was just like, I, it's, I am, I connect with these characters and they are so grounded and they're just, yeah. it's love. Like, <laughs> I'm like stuttering. I can't even, even put this like, into like words. I said, in the first 10 pages, I knew that kid. I went to high school with that kid and I for sure knew his mom. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, you're also right. incredible at writing uh, relationships between characters too. I think that's where these books are the strongest. Is yeah, the relationships you. are so I'm complex. Red. I don't know if you can see yeah. on the screen, but <laughs> red. yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, definitely my own, especially in the Sky Blues. Um, I let my own kind of lived experience being from rural Michigan kind of inform not only the you know geographical setting and, and the small town of Michigan. Um, but also, yeah, the, the sorts of personalities and the people you run across and the the, the way people speak to each other and um, all that stuff. So, yeah, that means a lot to me. I think, you know, having really strong characters, I think, is something that always draws me to a story. Of course, I think it's one of like the critical aspects of telling a good story is 
having characters that your audience is invested in. So, mm-hmm. so that means a lot. Thank you. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. We've really enjoyed talking to you about the books today. Um, we just want to take this moment to let you know about Audible. Really fantastic service where you can actually listen to books. You don't have to read. How cool is that? If you go to theosbookclub.com slash audible, that's theosbookclub.com slash A-U-D-I-B-L-E. You can start a free trial today. And the best part is you'll get to download a book and keep that one for free. So after you've heard it, you can hear it again whenever you want. Audible. Noise. (laughs) Something I want to discuss thematically about actually both of these books, which is really cool through line, is this idea of like editing ourselves as queer people or like you know being out but changing aspects of ourselves to still fit a mold we see mm. sky question you know really watch am i being too gay am i walking this way am i i don't like the way i hold my books i don't like the way i walk i don't you know and then we see blaine like oh question the way he dresses and all of this stuff so something sure. i can definitely relate to you know what i mean um coming out's never yeah. like the end of the road mm. then you have like so yeah. much to think about past that and forever mm. Definitely. I think, you know, something that is sort of, I think something that we should sort of change in terms of the way we think about it is the coming out process, because usually people come out throughout their entire lives, right? You don't just come out in one moment and then the world knows you're, you're queer and that's that. You come out every time, you know, you change to a new job or you go to a new school or you move to a new neighborhood and you have to, um, you know, either tell people or have that conversation with people and I think that can really affect, um, especially if you're younger and, and newly out, just the way that you move through the world, the way that you can express yourself. And even if you are, you know, acknowledging that you're queer, there's so many ways that you, yeah, again, kind of interact with the world that um, are maybe less acceptable from like a heteronormative standpoint. And a lot of it comes down to not just our own, you know, comfort with ourselves, but safety, right? If you're walking through, and, uh, you know, if you're engaging with people who you might feel um, might be dangerous if you're queer, right? Um, yeah. That's something to think about as well. So, yeah, no, I, I think that's definitely an important part of both Sky and Blaine's story, kind of in slightly different ways. And I think there's a lot to explore there, too. So, yeah, thanks. Moving on to kind of the next thing I want to talk about, which is teachers. Because oh. I will say Miss Winters is one of my favorite teachers ever written in fiction. Like, And I mean, personally, the first person I ever came out to was like my music teacher in school, of course. Oh, yeah. Very yeah. on brand. Like, <laughs> like I would like me and, me and my couple of my friends would always eat lunch in her office every day. So, of course, that's oh, the yeah. first person I came out to. Yeah. And so reading someone like Miss Winters in the Sky Blues is so cool because I'm like, Yes, that was my experience, which I also always describe as like this like theatrical or like book or a movie kind of plot. I'm like, yes, I was like best friends with a music teacher and I uh, came out to her first. And then so reading someone like Miss Winters, who is, you know, they Sky and his friends connect with her so much. And she's there for such important parts of their journey and just really has these like Mm. (laughs) absolutely amazing quotes and advice for Sky, especially. I love that. Do you want to talk maybe a little bit about your experience, if you had teachers like that, or how you kind of conceptualized Miss Winters even? Yeah, well, I love that so much. That means so much to me that you connect with her. And I think for the experience you just explained, I think is the experience for so many kids, especially marginalized kids, queer kids that had like that one adult at school, whether they were a teacher or a coach or the secretary, whoever, that they could really 
kind of connect with an adult who could see them for uh, for who they are and really accept and embrace who they are. I think that is so important for for kids to have those adults at school. Um, and yeah, for me, Miss Winter came about. It, it's funny because I didn't. I loved writing Miss Winter, and I she's one of my favorite characters of any books that I've any book that I've written thus far. Um, I didn't expect her to kind of become like a, a reader favorite and she totally has. And it's, oh. it's clear now retrospectively to see why, but there wasn't a single teacher that really um, inspired her, but more so kind of a combination of a lot of different teachers and just people I, I could recall when I was younger who were uh, like, I, like I said, just kind of accepting of, of who I was and could see me in that positive way. And um, yeah, so I kind of I've chose some some traits and qualities across the board of, of teachers that meant a lot to me. And, you know, I come from a, a family of teachers, both my parents were teachers, there's tons of teachers in my, uh, in, across my family. One of my best friends is a teacher in Chicago. So teachers are the best and um, they're right on the front lines of, of so many things and, yeah. and they really can save lives if they are, um, you know, championing LGBTQ people and students. So yeah, it meant a lot to me to, to have that positive feedback from readers about Miss Winter because she's the best. Yeah, those kinds of teachers are so imperative, mm. especially in those formative Absolutely. years. Like, I mean, I think I am where I am today because the first person I came out to was such a safe space. And yeah. again, so much yeah. of my high school experience, like think about the age For you sure. are, like realizing at 16 that you're queer and then like having yeah. that support system, it's like, mm. whoa, thank goodness. Well, <laughs> and it's, absolutely. And, and not to, you know, go Debbie Downer on your question, but you know, I know you guys are based in Canada, but here in the United States, we're seeing, um, and, and maybe in Canada, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure, but we're seeing a pushback to a lot of, um, queer children's and queer YA books. Um, mm. And there's a lot of, there's been a lot of local and state legislative uh, legislation to try to, um, if not outright ban the books, kind of center them yeah. or kind of have a chilling effect for schools not to have them. Um, in Florida, there's a don't say gay bill that is really affecting the way that teachers can be out at school or really be vocal about uh, talking about LGBTQ issues. And it's, it's really scary. I feel like we're taking steps backwards uh, culturally and politically in so many ways. And so I think yeah. to kind of underscore your point, it makes it that much more important for um, LGBTQ teachers and allies to really be there and to be visible and to champion their, their queer students because whew, we need that yeah. today mm -hmm. now more than ever. Definitely. I think it's, yeah, I think it's something like don't get complacent. Like it's not as mm -hmm. obvious here in Canada as as what's happening in the States, mm -hmm. but I think people here, again, are too complacent on like, it very well could happen here. And the moment yeah. we let it get that far, it's yeah. too late. So I think Absolutely. championing that yeah. from the start is like, that's how we get ahead of it, especially, you know what I mean? It's like, and yes. we are seeing how it's happening. Yeah. So if we could just like not let that happen, because we're literally watching it happen. <laughs> that would be that would be, great. That'd be great. I would love that. Right. <laughs> just look to Florida, just look to Florida and say, let's yeah. not do that. Yeah, guys. like, let's yeah. do that, here. don't. Do you wear clothes? How about shirts? This is a really cool one from everybody on stage. They're sick. Watch this. Wow. You've never seen someone put on a shirt like that before. If you want to get one of these cool shirts, go to everybodyonstage.com slash Theo and use the code Theo for 20% off. Theo's doing it. I want to go over to Blaine 
for a little bit because let me tell you up in this house we love some legally blonde so, <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely want to talk about this um the thing i love about blaine is that half my notes are like you know oh my god this is the part where l gets 175 on the outside and and those right. <laughs> most of my notes but the story does stand on its own it's not like it's this just carbon copy retelling of Legally Blonde. And I'm trying to make that clear to people. I'm like, L listen, it's yeah. it's gay Legally Blonde, but it's just, it's so good. It's so good. It's its its own story. It has incredible characters. So do you maybe want to talk about your, I guess, maybe connection to Legally Blonde or why it was the basis of kind of Blaine for the win? Yeah, for sure. I I love, I love a good rom-com. Um, I like, I look back to, you know, my childhood, the nineties and early aughts of, you know, so many of my favorite rom-coms were from that era. And I think, uh, now as an adult, I really love the idea of looking back at either the classics or, or films and stories that really meant a lot to us growing up and, and thinking about how much more they could have meant to us if they had queer representation. Right. And I think in general, I love the idea of queer retellings and, and kind of, Wearing up old stories in fun ways. And so, like you said, Blaine isn't necessarily a direct retelling, but it's certainly inspired by the story of Legally Blonde. And there's some little gems in there um, yeah. that are almost exact quotes from the movie. Mm -hmm. um, and it's I like think the especially... perfect amount. It's so good. <laughs> it's <laughs> right, so good. But a few, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think especially in the first, you know, three or four chapters kind of setting up the story, there's a lot of similarities to Legally Blonde. And then it kind of takes its own way, uh, takes its own path. Um, so don't think you know the ending, just if you've seen Legally Blonde, because you don't. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think I, I started with the idea that I wanted to uh, kind of take on the challenge of doing kind of a, a queer retelling-ish sort of story, um, just because I love that idea. And I was thinking through a lot of the, the types of stories that I think would work well in like a queer YA format. Um, and of course, Legally, Legally Blonde, um, in Legally Blonde, Elle Woods goes to Harvard. And so there was obvious things I needed to change a bit to kind of make it more appropriate for the age demographic. Um, but yeah, I just, I just was so excited to um, kind of take on that sort of story in a fun way. And I also wanted to, you know, I love Legally Blonde so much, but if you rewatch it, you know, the, the queer rep isn't necessarily the best. Yeah, I don't know if eating it hoops is, uh, our, uh, is, is, is what they thought they were doing with right. that. You yes. know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so I kind of thought of it as a little bit of an opportunity, too, to kind of, uh, not that this story was massively problematic, because there's plenty of much more problematic uh, rom-coms and comedies from that era when it comes to homophobia, but I thought it would be kind of fun to, yeah, to kind of revisit the story through a queer lens. Um, and yeah, I, I chatted with my agent and publisher about it, and they loved the idea, and, and were really excited about that story idea, so it, yeah, it worked out great as my second book. Do you have a favorite quotation? Oh, I do. I have one from each. Let me see Sky Blues. These also, again, the tears I shed during the Sky Blues, the sec <laughs> especially the second read-through was like, I was like, nobody talked to me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just leave me alone. <laughs> uh, all right. So I do have a couple quotes. I'll do one from each, my favorite okay. from each. So from the Sky Blues, I really love, but even the toughest people need to know they're loved, need to know they have people in their corner, which I think is beautiful so important like yeah. we don't need to have this like absolutely like suit of armor stone face all the time like you don't have to just like do it alone you don't have to be tough like mm. you can be tough and strong and brave and also have that support system mm -hmm. which love you that. demonstrate yeah. beautifully Gorge. in both of these books i love that yeah that's definitely something that stands out to me as, as one of the themes that i wanted to, to highlight this idea that toughness 
you kind of have an image of what tough is or what it means. But um, through Sky's story, that's in a certain sense kind of flipped on its head, right? Sometimes the toughest thing you can do is is either reach out for help or tell someone how you feel or be vulnerable or or just being who being who you are in yourself is just in itself tough when you know the world is is uh, a harsh place for someone like you. So so yeah, I love that. Yeah, and then from Blaine for the win, it's going to be a completely different conversation. <laughs> but um, um, uh, but I guess there's a big difference between quitting for the right reasons and quitting for the wrong mm. ones, which is super important because you are allowed to leave unsafe environments. You're allowed mm. to remove yourself from a situation that you don't feel like you can either be your best self or give everything you've got. You know, it's yeah. it's this like this show must go on or like stick it through to the end mentality. Is harmful sometimes, mm. you know. And and uh, Robbie, yeah. how do you kind of feel about that? And like yeah. Blaine's discovery at the end of the book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, without giving too much away and getting spoiler territory, um, Blaine does have that is something he kind of explores through his own experience. This idea that um, you know he's he's kind of known to be a quitter or to have quit some things throughout his life, and so that kind of works its way into his his brain later in the story, kind of thinking through what he should do. And I think quitting does have such a negative connotation. And I think certainly you don't want to quit on things that are, you know, meaningful and valuable to you and something that, you know, maybe, maybe later you might regret doing. But at the same time, to your point, yeah, there's absolutely so many examples of quitting for the right reasons. And I think yeah. so often, even growing up, I remember quitting a sport that I didn't like or quitting a club or, or quitting thing that I just genuinely hated and did not have any fun doing yeah. and didn't have any friends in the club or the sport or whatever. Mm. I always felt so guilty as a kid doing it. But looking back now, it's like, no, of course not. Why would I do something that I despise <laughs> right. um, when I can do other things that um, I love and that I can connect with people over? And and yeah, and again, to your point, there's there's so many examples of, you know, being in unsafe situations or um, yeah, reason, reasons to quit for, uh, for the right, for the right reason. So yeah, I love that that stands out to you because that was certainly something that I wanted to, to underscore in, in Blaine's yeah. story. Hmm. Uh, speaking of quitting, we are coming near to the end of the podcast. This is an excellent <laughs> segue actually. But before we go, we do have, I have one more very important, very, important. very difficult question for you. Are you prepared? Oh, oh boy. Again, <clears throat> not at all, but let's <laughs> In all of classic literature, is there mm. one character that stands out to you as absolutely queer, but isn't in the books? Oh man, um, that is such a that is a tough question. That is really good. Um, I mean, gosh, not to not to choose the easiest route, but I think even in the example I gave earlier with Auntie Mame, although I don't know if you can say it's a classic, um, <laughs> uh, that was a anything before. This is from the '50s, so it's classic in my brain. But I do think that that there was there was a lot of queer codedness to mm. the characters there, so that stands out to me. But I think it's sort of funny. I feel like a lot of the the classic characters that um, there was a lot of codedness in the like the way that they were presented, even if it wasn't like explicit. Now we just kind of almost consider it queer literature, too, you know. So right, well, I think that's all we have for uh, today. I don't even want to stop. I'm having such a good time. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, before fun. we do wrap up, Robbie, yeah. um, where can us, I guess, and our audience find you? 
Online. Online. Not like Not specifically yet. an address. Pinpoint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I won't give out my address today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm all over all over social media. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram. I got on TikTok a couple months ago. I haven't posted a video in a while, but that's gonna change soon. So um, I think all my handles are just at Robbie Couch. And in every bio, you should be able to link to um, either my website or the landing page for my books. So that's how you can Amazing. find it. Perfect. <laughs> well, we'll do that then. We will for sure. Thanks so much for talking Thank you with so us, much. Robbie. Please go read Thank Robbie's you. books, everyone. Yay. Oh my gosh, they are so good. You have to <laughs> read these books. <laughs> You're too kind. I love them. Kind. Um, Thank you. Yeah, Perfect. thanks again. All right. Bye, Robbie. Thank you. Bye. Gia's Book Club is executive produced by Greg Crothers for Everybody on Stage. This episode is written by Robert Popoli and Chelsea Jane Bray. Our producer is Denise Niles with production assistance by Alicia Tablin, directed by Greg Crothers. Our theme song is written and performed by Robert Popoli and mixed and mastered by Rob Russo. Gia's Book Club.com. <laughs> 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 <laughs>